Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Red. I'm Miles. And I'm Anthony. Today, Red has a chat with Joey Vergara, a developer for Toys for Bob and Rec Room. They talk about his journey in the industry and some of the projects he has worked on, like Crash Bandicoot 4 and the Spyro Remastered. This is a really fun chat that I got to have. Uh, I've known Joey since I, I met him in, I mean, as you'll hear in the interview, uh, I, I met him while we were both uh, going to school. Uh, and so he has now moved on to la- larger developer pro- development uh, pastures, and has been doing very well, and has worked on some fun projects. So this will be a this will be a nice fun chat. I hope you all enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, we have a little bit of news to get into. Seafood. Seafood. Explain, please, Miles. <laughs> so our first bit of news is uh, seafood has been taking or at least my, it's been taking my Twitch by storm. Um, Sifu is a new sort of kung fu fighting game from the people who made Absolver, uh, if you remember that game from a couple years ago. Uh, and it's it's very interesting. It's very in-depth. There's a lot of really cool like mechanics to it. It's not like a like a uh, Mortal Kombat or a Street Fighter or a, that kind of fighting game. It's like a if you've played Sleeping Dogs, it's a bit like that, but with much more emphasis on, like the, the sort of physicality of of fighting. Like there's there's a bit of physics base to it. There's a lot of like really in depth mechanics of like driving the combat and and making it much more than just like a beater or a beat 'em up. The story is kind of like generic and 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 fine. But the the main interest here is in the like the the combat, and it's it's a pretty cool game, honestly. It just came out a couple weeks ago. This I I have yet to see any playthroughs of this yet, but it does like a, a really fun beat 'em up. Does sound like something that I would uh, that I've been missing in my life so far. So it'll be an exciting new new pathway to go through. Uh, in other news, uh, Nintendo Direct recently had their own one for February 9th. Uh, there's plenty of awesome new announcements that they've announced. We got to see more playthrough of Kirby in the Forgotten Land, a new uh, Final Fantasy, uh, sorry, Fire Emblem and Dynasty Warriors crossover game. That looks pretty fun. Uh, we got a teaser for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. There's a Chrono Cross Remaster coming out. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is having 64 new courses, which are free if you have the Nintendo Online Expansion Pass. And one of the weirder things that they announced is uh, Nintendo Switch Sports. So if you remember bowling on the Wii, get ready to do it again on the Switch. (laughs) All right, yes. Yeah, I can't wait. This whole new, I, I'm. There's going to be a lot more broken consoles and broken controllers with this game coming out. I can tell you that. 
broken TVs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm all, but it's also I think that was Nintendo's MO initially. They should just start selling Nintendo branded TVs with like a, a Nerf screen cover that would protect bulletproof the glass. <laughs> uh, but that's gonna be we can. We can crack through a lot new of these Nintendo Direct things. Uh, Kirby has a new more Kirby has a new mode where his, it's mouthful mode, where he can suck up large items and then essentially just half become what they are. Like one of them was he can suck up a suck up a car, where he's essentially just like one of those dust covers that you see on older cars on top of it, and then you drive around. Uh, you can suck up a vending machine and then shoot soda cans out your mouth I, I, I that was probably my favorite but mm-hmm. lots of new exciting things for kirby ahead and then al- also you can upgrade your different base like attacks or transformate transformations uh, as you go along in the story which i thought was pretty interesting you can pay to then be able to transform into something better when you suck up a certain enemy so that'll be very, very cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have, uh, we also got some Horizon Forbidden West PS4 uh, base PS4 footage. Looks pretty good, uh, and it does look incredible on the base PS4 as well. Yeah, it's. I, I'm still amazed at what you can pump out of that console, even on the base version of it. So it should be pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. And then the final piece of news that we have, since its release on January 28th, uh, 2022, Pokemon Legends Arceus has sold 6.5 million copies in the first week. 1.4 million copies in Japan on the first three days. And uh, Sword and Shield are still selling well with 24 million copies. So this is going to be an exciting... An exciting year for Pokemon. I mean, we'll see what comes out of Legends Arceus if this is the new, the new baseline for Pokemon games. A uh, little, a little bit of a twist and a change that I think is very welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was surprised when trying to pick up a physical copy of Arceus everywhere. It was sold out. Uh, I, I this was probably the most anticipated and hyped Pokemon game in a very long time. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I definitely want to grab my hands on it, but we shall see. But I think it's about time we throw it over to the interview and have a little chat with Mr. Joey Vergara. And here's our little talk. And welcome back to the Maidcast. I am here once again with a friend and developer, Joey Vergara. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, I wanted to ask you... As a person who's been seasoned in the game industry, we initially met uh, while you were doing your master's program at Santa Cruz, and I was doing the game audio program at San Francisco State. We were doing a little bit of a collab class where my team became was assigned to your game master's program, your capstone project for the sound team. Ended up doing a bunch of voices. Yeah, I always find I always found that to be funny because at the time our team had this guy james who's uh you know since gone into sony and 343 uh he was our sound guy so like when they told us we were gonna have like these 
undergraduate like sound people on our games which normally would sound like a blessing we were just like oh no 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 we don't need that but mm -hmm. they were already assigned and then you were assigned to us and we just kind of immediately fell in love and became great friends and you ended up doing a lot of sound effects for the game as well as all almost every single voice mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah I mean, that was a fun project i was i was there i mean there was a point where you guys were worrying about trying to like oh we're gonna need to hire these voice actors and it's like we need like a couple different voices it's like don't worry i can do it <laughs> it like... well that was funny because i was thinking about like i need a little kid voice you know my old producer at my old job uh, uh you know he has I a son a and he's for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was like um yeah when you're like i could do it i'm just like looking at you i'm just like i don't know and you did that i'm like yeah we can use that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i think one of the best things that happened was like when we were showing off the game somebody came up was like who did these voices they're like so good but also like so bad, but it makes it even better. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's like magic. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad it fit the aesthetic. I mean, it was a, it was it, a really it, fun game. It felt serendipitous that that you were on our team because I feel like the game could not have been nearly as good without the voices that are in it. Well, thank you. It was a very it was so much fun. I mean, you guys made a very fantastic game that was very inventive and new, which is not something that you totally see a lot of these days, which I, I thought it was a really great way to tell a story. It's uh, the freedom of being a graduate student. There's no stakes. There's nobody like there's nobody that needs to make money off of you. You're just doing it for the love. Yeah, because like I don't even need to support myself with my work there. It's just what can I do that hasn't been done before? And at the time, VR was like not super inspiring. Well, it was inspiring as a platform, but a lot of the work no, out there was yeah. more inspiring of like, I could do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I can do this, and I can do it better. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely had that. I definitely had that <laughs> feeling at the time. I think that, like, yeah. some big studios and small studios have figured out VR stuff way better than I ever could have uh, since then, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... But, I mean, it's it's still... I don't know. It's still in this weird state where there's a lot of, like, interesting things with VR that are, like, on the horizon. And it, it's not to be written off yet. No, I'm definitely not ready. I am not writing it off. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like I'm not writing it off either. But it, there was like a bit of a, there was like a bit of like a year, two year lag, of what is it capable of, what is going on, and what has been released weren't necessarily exciting. Kind of felt a little derivative, but then everything else then has been really exciting. Well, I remember when before I, I even started at grad school, I was making games as a hobby, and I published a, a Google Cardboard VR game, which, if anybody remembers, that is like a cardboard thing with little lenses that you slipped your phone into, mm -hmm. and it used like the the accelerometer and like gyroscope of the phone to like render things in uh, three degrees of freedom, like VR space, and I made a game for that that. I like to... Uh, that was a fun game. You throw beach balls at uh, seagulls. seagulls. Yeah, right? they're trying to eat your food. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and the thing was, like, at the I was so proud of it because like, I couldn't find anything cardboard-related that was fun. Yeah. And I made that. It's super simple. It's nothing like special, but like, I felt like it was the only thing on cardboard that was fun at the time it's just like i know i'm just kind of like praising myself i just think it was a it was a platform that nobody cared about and so i'm like let me do something here i mean yeah especially i mean especially at the time it like it was definitely a a really fun easy game to dip your toes into yeah it was also a good way to like practice unity like at the time i didn't know any vector math or anything yeah. you need to make something interesting but you have like character move towards 
functions that like take away all that thinking. Mm-hmm. So after you got out of Santa Cruz, uh, you then went to Toys for Bob. Uh, Toys for Bob uh, did the Spyro remaster, uh, and then they also did uh, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, which you had a big part in. So tell us a little about your experience with Crash and what it felt like working on such a historic title and bringing it back. So um, I think coming out of grad school, I had such a big ego because of like how well I did there <laughs> that when they told me like, Hey, hush, hush, but we're going to be reviving crash bandicoot. I was just like, Oh, okay. I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can be part of like reviving one of the biggest mascots of all time that I grew up with and love and adore. Uh, so like that was where I was starting from, but basically like you were the dude was- in the crash suit outside of Sega, weren't you? I was like six years old with a pitch shifter. Yep. <laughs> um, Just holding up the sign. It's like, Crash is better. Just <laughs> yeah. um, so when I joined Toys for Bob, it was uh, at the time... Crash was like a twinkle in the eye. There was just kind of like this side R&D project thing where it's just like, hey, interns, you play in this little sandbox because like the real people, you know, the real workers are making Spyro right now. And this is like towards the end of that where people were like, you know, it it was they had to shit. (laughs) So, yeah, they were really busy on that. So it's just like me and a few other interns in a corner with like the studio heads, like just prototyping on some game that eventually became Crash 4. (laughs) So uh, early on, um, I was responsible for a lot of like early level mechanic prototypes. Um, But when the game went to full production, I was primarily responsible for uh, a lot of enemy implementations as well as player player character uh, design and implementation as well. So I've had a hand in all the playable characters in Crash 4 at some point, except for Tana. And mm-hmm. Dingo Dial is, I, design and implementation-wise, is like 90% uh, my baby. I, I'm foundationally, like, what, you know, uh, Unreal and what Toys for Rob did foundationally for playable character controllers uh, that I didn't have a hand in. That's the last 10%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I got to say, it's that like was really so nailed. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, Dingo Dial is a fantastically, it, it fits his personality so perfectly. His little waddle. <laughs> well, I didn't animate it. Oh, well. So, like, it's basically like in that R&D project, I had like some character that may or may not be Dingo Dial-ish that people just found fun. And when mm-hmm. we looked through concept art of like, who is this going to be in Crash 4? Like, Dingo Dial fits this this idea very well. And okay, so you kind of created the movement then, like, the character model was like didn't really have like a face to it you were just creating kind of like a movement and interaction base that you were going to slap a skin on yeah or... so i think with that one there was kind of an idea that it could be dingo dial because we knew that we wanted to do something with crash but uh and we just looked at characters and so when you make a prototype of like this seems fun you kind of retrofit it and then they start informing each other of like this character moves like that i've created moves like this then you look at the crash catalog and it's like this kind of fits this character and then you learn more about that character and they start to inform each other back and forth so so um, for you it started off as just like a you're creating just like a just some random model essentially and then well it'd be it'd be cubes and that would be done by like the studio head was literally like 
putting together cubes and animating them for us uh, for the interns at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so basically when we were doing Crash 4 and they decided we're going to have Dingo Dial in here, um, you know, then it's like we have the concept artists, we have like the 3D modelers uh, coming in. Uh, we already kind of knew what the move set was going to be more or less from the prototypes. So uh, then it became like going back and forth with the with the animators on like how he's going to move, like you know him waddling and being just beautifully thick. That's the art team. Yeah, and that's that's the concept <laughs> artists, the modelers, the riggers. Uh, okay. And the animators just doing that, and you know when I'm trying to figure out animation for gameplay reasons, the way it usually goes is you know I have this. This move takes this many frames, uh, more or less. You have a bit of wiggle room. Like you need this much time of like a pre-tell animation, this much time it's active, and this is like the recovery uh, window. And so you can tell the animator like the feeling that you want to have from it. It's like I need this to feel heavy, and like you can give some suggestion. And then the most important thing I need to convey is what this animation needs to tell the player at what points. But okay. The truth is, it's like whatever the animator comes back with is going to be a million times better than what my imagination originally thought. So it'll convey yeah. what I wanted, plus like oh, okay. so much more flavor. Oh so. yeah, just a little, just a little, little Salt Bay uh, tidbit on the end of those <laughs> animations. Just send them in the yeah. right direction, and they'll come back with something great. Yeah, I uh, still think that the Toys for Bob animation team is the greatest animation team in games. Like they're just so wonderfully delightful. Everything they do is just like. Everything's just so Looney Tunes and fun, and I feel like Crash was the perfect IP for that group of people. Uh, yes, uh, I'm, and it was a really marvelous, fantastic game. They really did bring back a lot of the... I mean, just they kept the old feel with the with updated mechanics. I mean, yeah, I think we were talking about it a little bit before, but you're, uh, just the no lives factor taking away <laughs> a lot of anxiety that you have, yeah. that you have with it, it's... Like it, it removes yeah, a lot of our stress factor, but still keeps the difficulty. Yeah, I think that you know, uh, there we had a designer on the team who he's like a, a a mentor and kind of a design god who's like had a heavy hand in some of the biggest franchises that uh, you probably played growing up. And I remember him saying, when it comes to like bullshit in games, is we owe the player a main path, which means if you want to get from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, you want it to be as free a bullet as possible now i will say that we didn't <laughs> completely succeed in that because if you mm -hmm. ever played the final level of crash 4 it's basically a rom hack like we gave the most sadistic level designer the responsibility of making something that's just cruel <laughs> it's the greatest feeling in the world when you <laughs> when you complete it if you complete it but oh my god is it just like <laughs> i think when i beat it the first time i died uh, about 80 times yeah, <laughs> but part of like giving the player a main path is like you know if you have like these side things you can make them as challenging or as kind of bullshitty as, uh, as you want to allow. Um, but in terms of like the main path is like we don't want people to get aggravated by things like lives or increase anxiety by things like lives. So you know if you play like a Super Meat Boy or Celeste, dying is not a big deal, and that's the same case with Crash Four. Dying is not a big deal. It's just like oh I died, let's try that again. Like I learned from that. Um, yeah. But in the same vein as the Celestial Super Meat Boys, that you still get agitated, and when you get agitated and don't breathe, you're gonna make mis more mistakes sooner. <laughs> yes. I'm, like watching my my partner play uh, recently, and the way she 
you know, if she dies at the same spot like twice, she'll start dying earlier and earlier, and I have to tell her to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> just breathe. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You know, no, it's like you're doing fine. You nailed it. Just breathe. See, the funny thing is, is that when the original Crash came out, like 3D platformers weren't really solved yet. Like, I, I might they be weren't. wrong in this, but I, I think that Mario 64 hadn't come out yet, which is like when Mario 64 came out, game developers were basically like, oh, that's how you do it. And yeah. Crash is really, like, the original is a 2D platformer with a bad camera angle. <laughs> like, that's kind of the, the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the way I see it. I'm speaking for myself here. Uh, so, like, you know, one of the things we introduced in Crash 4 was, like, the, the shadow blob. It's, like, this yellow circle under you to help you gauge your jumps and your exact position in space while still maintaining the Crash-feeling camera angle. Yeah. Because the camera angle is super important to the DNA of Crash and what makes it feel like Crash. But at the same time, that camera angle makes it very difficult to judge depth. It's like, just, I mean, just the whole way that they were able to get around everything in the original Crash with essentially hacking the entire system to get it to load things on separate parts of the system <laughs> in order to process the 3D environment was pretty in- innovative uh, and really interesting to see. Uh, anybody who's working on first-party hardware uh, has stories like that. You know, yeah. like, yeah, that's that's just the way it is. Like, for us, we just wrestle with Unreal when we're doing, like, third-party published on everything. But if you're making a game for PlayStation or for Nintendo, you're going to hack that thing Oh, yeah. You're going to get as most out of it as you possibly yeah. can. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, from Crash Bandicoot and, like, all that history success, you... Then went on to Rec Room over in Seattle. Yeah, so I am. So, I've <laughs> actually like as we're recording this, like I have one week left at Rec Room. I'm I'm actually leaving. Uh, mm-hmm. So Rec Room is a really, 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 really cool, fantastic, ahead of its time, or I would say of the time and perfectly positioned game. So it originally started, but was started by some uh, former Hololens people at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, they invented the HoloLens, made a lot of experiences for HoloLens. Um, but as Microsoft wanted to shift more towards like enterprise rather than a consumer product for uh, the application there, a lot of these guys were just like, you know what, we just want to make fun XR games. So Rec Room was a spinoff of a few of those guys where uh, they wanted to make a Wii Sports for VR and made mm-hmm. Rec Room in 99 days and published it to the Vive. Oh, wow. uh, so it was a VR-only game for a long time. Uh, but you know, as the community, as the community grew and was healthy and, uh, they realized like people were hacking the game to like create their own worlds within this thing. They started like, it's kind of leaning into that user generated content, uh, aspect of it. And they let Rec Room evolve into what it is today, which is really kind of like that metaverse like creating your own worlds and like having people come play games that you've created, um, like, for example, Rec Room, we have our own uh, programming language called CV2 that's not super different mm. from Unreal Blueprint, uh, but it's something that you actually program from inside the game. So, like, you mm. as your avatar can build uh, gameplay using a programming language while inside the game. It's like it's like if you had, you know, Unreal up it's in like your you're, It's spade. like you're Neo yeah. inside the Matrix, morphing the there Matrix. There you go, exactly, you. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, like, you know, from the yeah. first, from the end of the first movie. Thank you. You got it. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> that's exactly. It's like it's like it's basically Minority Report. No, um, <laughs> with a, <laughs> but yeah. So like, Rec Room is is this place that's just like, 
they're so perfectly positioned for this whole like metaverse conversation because like while people are trying to like create these like new platforms or like retrofit platforms like rec room already has super passionate fan base that's building incredible things and it's only getting bigger like they just got another round of funding and like it's it's rec room is a rocket ship to mars and it's not slowing down so like me leaving is probably irresponsible uh, uh, you're fine <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, well i I'll mean you're fine. going to uh, you're moving to phoenix labs now right which uh yeah the creators of dauntless so dauntless also looks like a really fun game i'm probably gonna hop onto it after this interview just to <laughs> give so, it a little give it a little trial run uh yeah. it does also look just very like be- fun. before i completely switch topics i just want to point out that yes. like rec room is actually like an incredible incredible company and the leadership is insanely good and i have like all the faith in them it's just like the phoenix labs opportunity was like it's like that one last heist kind of moment where like a lot of my yeah. uh, favorite people that i worked with at toys for bob had gone to phoenix labs they came knocking they had like a job description that was basically like if they were to describe me very specifically as a developer and then yeah which i th- may have been what happened when i think about it but yeah they, <laughs> wait, they knew that, wait hold on <laughs> it's like they they know me so well they pushed every button to like pique my interest because i was not looking to like leave rec room's dope <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were but yeah it, it's it's one of those like one last like you know get to, get the gang back together kind of kind of moments that i couldn't say no to yeah i mean it's uh, in it's really special when you find a group of people that you love working with that much and that you can, there's good things that happen when you know the people that you're working with, you know what they're about. Yeah. The interesting collaborations that happen with everything are just so interesting. And the way that you can play off of each other in an, in a space of an idea. I mean, these are people that I spent three years building trust with and building a relationship with. And these are people that, you know, as we moved to remote work, um, it was just like the easiest thing because like, even if we're just on a Slack thread, I feel like I'm with them because like, we just have that rapport when we work together. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's definitely, I'm not going to say comfort zone because, like, what I'm going to have to do is extraordinarily varied. Uh, like, I'm supposed to be a content designer on an R&D project, which basically means, like, we have a game vision and we need to fill it with stuff. You fill it with stuff, which is, like, a dream job. This is what, if you were to ask me four years ago what my dream job in games is, this is it. Mm-hmm. So that's so that's that's primarily why I'm going. That's I mean, it's, it's really special. I'm, I'm stoked to see where this new path takes you. Um, yeah. It's also interesting. Just Phoenix labs right now, they were acquired by Garena, which is a Southeast Asian game publisher mm-hmm. who published free fire, which is the, I think the highest grossing game in the world. So 2020 or 2021 or both. Oh, wow. Uh, has no penetration in the Western yeah, market. I was going to say, it, but like, it's... <laughs> I was like, what is that game? But <laughs> it's basically, it's just like PUBG mobile. Uh, oh. It's basically, it's made for like low end phones battle royale that like anybody can play on like your old android nice that's a good that's a good that's Um, a good way to get into the market is just access what people already have and know how to use yeah so i was already aware of garena because of like following Mm esports and like southeast asian teams are sponsored by them but yeah they they bought phoenix labs and now phoenix labs has opened a bunch of different studios around north america uh that are doing different r d projects and it's just really exciting to see 
what comes out of it because like dauntless was a really 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 good idea (laughs) yes it's like i think it's a fantastic idea it's just like the monster hunter market doesn't really have too much competition as much as i'm aware and then you make a game that appeals to like people who want to hunt monsters but maybe don't want to deal with like the preparation or the same i guess like core loop of monster hunt yeah monster hunters loop i mean i love monster hunter but it's definitely uh, i know you're a big fan yeah huge fan (laughs) but it's it's definitely a different exploration but i think so uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting there's all like the future of the future of games and then the future of the industry right now, it's going to be very interesting because, I mean, opening the door up for remote work allows different people from all over, different disciplines and all over the area to work on something exciting. So we'll, maybe that'll breed some new interesting games, new interesting ideas from people getting in contact with each other. So that's some exciting things for the future. Uh, yeah, not to mention the remote work side of it is like, I was able to just say like, hey, well, I mean, also like when you're talking to a company and you weren't looking to to leave your current one, mm-hmm. you feel a little more emboldened to be like, yeah, uh, no matter what, I need to be remote because like I just moved to Seattle. I like it up here. I like the rain and the darkness. Yes. That's my jam. <laughs> so, like, so I wasn't ready to like after just what is it now, like five months move back to Northern California. Yeah, that would be a little that would be a, a bit of a about face. But I'm glad yeah. to see that you're sticking to your guns and allowing yourself to stay where you are. At least, you know, for another seven months. Make it a full year first. Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Like, you don't suffer through, like, the the winter of Seattle to not see the summer. Yeah, yeah. You're going to need to see the yeah. summer. You're going to need to see the sunset at about 1030. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Um, but so I think that might be about... Unfortunately, I think that's about all the time we have for this interview. But I wanted to ask one more question: Is there any like advice you would want to give to like any person looking to get into the game industry? Like anything that you would recommend they do just to get their toes wet, or anything? Anything you want to? It definitely say? depends on it depends on which avenue you want to go. Um, but I do think that right now, compared in the past, it used to be you joined QA and that was your way up the ladder of game development. And more and more these days, it is through school, so through uh, undergraduate and graduate games programs. Um, that's that's kind of the main funnel to the games industry today. So if you want to get into the games industry, definitely look into schools. And also, you only get what you put in. Going in, a degree means almost nothing. What matters is what you produce while you're there. Yeah. So absolutely, um, work. If you're there, work your ass off. Uh, don't try to be average. Try to be as great as you can and put in all the work and get close to the people who have that same drive and then if school isn't available to you get involved in game jams there's a million of them online there's great communities around making things because at the end of the day the games industry more often than not and more so than other industries that i've been a part of uh is a meritocracy Mm -hmm. so just make sure that you know you're ready to do the job yeah give it your all with whatever you're doing well Joey, thank you very much for taking a little time out of your day to have this little chat. It was great seeing you again, and hopefully we will have you back on in the future to talk a little bit more about what you're going to be doing at Phoenix Labs. Yeah, I'd love to be back. Love you, buddy. It was great talking to you. Love you too, man. Great to see you. Thank you. And we're back. So uh, thank you very much, Joey, for taking time out of your 
day to have a chat with us and explain what it's been like for you working in the industry. Give a little insight from inside. Mm-hmm. Does, is that what insight means, Alex? Oh, good. Awesome. Insight <laughs> from inside. <laughs> good job. Uh, but thanks again, Joey. Uh, hopefully have you back on uh, some other time to talk about some other new projects that you'll be working on. But I think it is time we wrap this up by talking about what each of us have been playing. So I know you've still been playing Legends Arceus, Anthony, and how's that been going? Uh, it's been going great. Uh, but since the Nintendo Direct announcement, I actually picked up uh, Earthbound. And I got to say, it's it's a really awesome RPG. Has it, mm. like, ha- how did, has it been running fine on the Switch, too? Oh, yeah. It runs very smooth. Uh, this is sort of my first kind of entry into the uh, SNES uh, virtual console nice um, collection, which it lists all the games all sort of neatly and and sort of their original box art uh, packaging. So you sort of select your game from there. And once you select your game, it just instantly loads, no download, anything like that. Everything works seamless. and that's um, pretty great. There's this cool um, sort of save feature. So you can take a sort of like a snapshot of the game where you previously left off and um, you can log out and then go back in and you can just continue straight from that point. So no need to like sort of save your game. Um, Ooh. You just take like a, a snapshot of of your progress. And so I, th- I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Earthbound as a game is just <laughs> I'm just loving it. Uh, the the sort of narrative and dialogue with with the game is, is just totally catches you off guard. Like you think it's gonna go one way and it just completely goes like off the rails. <laughs> Talking to random NPCs, they'll just like spill out information <laughs> that you really didn't need to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like you share too much. You're sharing too much. Thank <laughs> you. I just met you. Hello. um there's lots of quirky characters um you have like a bee joining your party for like a couple of minutes which which i that was hilarious um but the yeah the combat too is is pretty interesting um you don't see your enemy's hit points so you you don't know whether not you're making a lot of damage to the to the enemy and a lot of sort of special events happen during a battle. So, you know, like the the enemy will do something really weird. And it's like, um, am I supposed to counter this or not? Mm. Uh, there, there's a lot of guessing to the mechanics, uh, which I really like because it really just kind of throws your guard off and, and, and all that. That sounds really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've also, I mean, I've been playing... Hades again once again just picking it back up I'm still captivated by how much work they put into even the epilogue because I mean it takes a number of hours to get to like the end of the main story if it takes you a lot like if you're having trouble with like the fighting mechanics and then at that point there's still essentially a whole nother game with a whole nother story at the end and it's still fantastic and the way that they bring each of the characters that you interact with to life and have they have their own distinct, unique personality is really, really fun. I'm still mm-hmm. blown away by the amount of work that they've put into this and how smooth and amazing it is. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, great game. Do you have anything you would like to talk about playing, Miles? Uh, recently, I've been playing Strange Horticulture, which is this little indie game that I've fallen in love with about uh, running a potion shop. Or hmm. not not just a potion shop, like a like a herbalist shop in like a wizard world. Um, and so people come to you. It's a bit like a cross between Papers, Please and... Ooh. Oh, shoot. What's that other game? Um, people, like, you open your shop every day. People come to you with a problem. And based on the clues of what they're talking about, and they say, oh, I want something that looks like this. Or it has these properties, and I need this thing. Um, uh, Potion Crafting, I think, is the name of the game. I can't remember exactly. Mm. But... Um, so it's your job as the uh, proprietor of this uh, herbalist house to uh, go out and collect the uh, the plants that they need based on what they think they know about it, um, come back uh, and give them the right thing. And there's this sort of ongoing story of like you having bad dreams and there's this thing going on in the background and you're not always... Uh, dealing with it and it's kind of just like slowly building up of like this there's this cosmic horror in the background that you sort of have to keep managed uh it's a lot of little things it's fun it's quaint it's charming uh it's a bit spooky sometimes but overall i think it's very good spooky is good spooky is fun <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm looking at screenshots of this right now and i, I really like the art design for this yeah yeah it looks pr very pretty is it available on Steam right now or only? Uh, it's on Steam. It's on Itch. It's on uh, right. most platforms, I believe. Awesome. Well, we'll have to give that a check out. That sounds really good. But I do think that that is about all the time that we have for this episode of The Maidcast. We want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at info at We'd like to send a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the maid afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. This week's episode was brought to you in part by Patreon donors Ensight and Matt Diamond. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time, I'm Miles. I'm Red. And I'm Anthony. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Later, gamers!